The Fearless Fund, an Atlanta-based and Black woman-funded venture capital firm, won the first battle in a lawsuit they are facing alleging a grant program for Black women and small business owners, Black small business owners, uh, is racially discriminatory. They won their first battle in that lawsuit in the district, federal district court. However, the defendant, uh, Edward Bloom, and the nonprofit organization that he has uh, led that has been challenging affirmative action programs in universities around this country, uh, appealed the decision of the federal district court. He filed an appeal or his group filed an appeal to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal. And the Circuit Court of Appeal had a different interpretation. Uh, there was a different outcome uh, at the appellate level than at the federal court level. Uh, Arian Simone, co-founder and CEO of the Fearless Foundation, is joining me, as well as Jean McGuire, president and CEO of the National Minority Supplier Development Council. And later in this hour, Dr. Ty Douglas, who is a professor at the University of Berkeley and an expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion, is going to join this conversation because there are a lot of constitutional uh, arguments and issues raised by this lawsuit. So I want to make sure we uh, cover what's happening or what's likely to happen with this lawsuit uh, if it makes its way to the Supreme Court. But thank you so much, Arian, and thank you so much, Ying, for joining. Uh, Arian, can you just kind of give us a synopsis of where the lawsuit is now and where that small business grant program is? Yes, and due to the fact that we are in an active lawsuit, I will be speaking based upon what you can see in the public. What you can see in the public is that we were definitely sued on August 2nd and we're being sued for alleged discrimination. And during that time, there was a complaint filed as well as a preliminary injunction. Fast forward, we went to court, as you stated, and in the district court, we won for the preliminary injunction. After that, it was appealed. And we are currently going through the appellate process in the 11th Circuit um, regarding the appeal. So that's where we are at. The plaintiffs, they sent in their brief. We have time. We have to respond back to that. And then they have an opportunity to respond to our response. So since the 11th Circuit basically overruled the federal district court, is the grant program itself just uh, on hold as the matter works its way through the court system? That is correct. As, uh, as it states right now, the grant program is on pause. Talk a little about, you know, what the purpose of the grant program is. Like, what was the intention of you, your co-founder, the organization in creating this grant program? Well, I'll even speak a step before that. The foundation is designed to provide grants as well as education to women of color. We have been very instrumental in doing that. We have awarded over 350 women of color businesses grants we have deployed millions of dollars in grant funding. We have educated over a thousand women of color founders every single year in the area of venture education. All of our grant programs, because we have multiple ones, they are all designed to add capital and the access of capital to women of color founders. As we know, women of color are the most founded entrepreneur demographic. They are unfortunately just the least funded. And with that being said, these grants are able to help them with job creation. They're able to help them with marketing. They are able to help them with cash flow management. It is essential that they receive the capital that they actually deserve in order to help scale and grow their businesses. 
So just like this one grant program, all of our grant programs um, provide those opportunities. Ying, so given what uh, we just heard about the work of the Fearless Fund and their efforts to provide support to minority uh, female business owners, what do you make of Edward Bloom and the American Alliance for Equal Rights, the timing of their lawsuit and the targeting of the Fearless Fund? Because clearly they're not the only organization providing these kinds of grants to you know, Black-owned women, Latin-owned women, Indigenous women. You know, there, there are lots of grant programs out there. Why this organization and why this time? Yeah, so this has been a well-funded and, and purposeful and coordinated legal and a political strategy really aimed at blocking full participation for systemically excluded community of color economic life. So this is a, one of many. Um, and there are, they have, this group have been pursuing a three-pronged political and legal strategy designed to really dismantle the legal basis for programs and policies designed to promote inclusion and level the playing field uh, for minority businesses, which the NMSDC network have tirelessly fought for over the past 50 years, uh, including government contracting preferences, corporate supply diversity initiatives, workforce diversity and related efforts. And also um, it is aimed to shift the risk calculus for corporate leaders regarding to DEI and supply diversity programs and other activities and mobilize the voters for the 2024 elections by providing the narrative and talking points for candidates and the parties and shaping the new cycle leading up to November 2024. And so this is not the first one. It's not going to be the last one. And uh, with these organizations, are doing every, including Fearless Fund, are doing everything they can to push back against this baseless lawsuit. NMSDC and our partners realize that they cannot do it alone. That's why we're here to support Area and the Fearless Fund and the Fearless Foundation. So, Ying, you say this isn't the first one, meaning the first lawsuit. How pervasive? Are these kinds of lawsuits, or you know, how often are you seeing these kinds of lawsuits targeting black female-owned business or or just black-owned businesses that are trying to provide some kind of financial support for other uh, black and minority business owners? Yeah, I think the recent affirmative action decision definitely emboldened the movement uh, and increased the number of these attacks and. Um, other legal challenges, give you a few examples, um, a challenge to the constitutionality of the Minority Business Development Agency in the Department of Commerce uh, was advancing through the court system after a district court judge in Texas issued a injunction against three MBDA centers, and some of them were run by our NMSDC affiliates. And one of the cases that got most uh, attention from our community is a case against USDA and SBA at the Tennessee District Court Judge rule that government could not presume that all business owners in the category deemed eligible for participating in the 8A business development and a contracting program disadvantage. 
and and there there were many uh, NMSDC corporate members um, got challenged by some of the lawsuits, like a Starbucks corporation. Uh, there was a lawsuit claiming that companies' targets and practices for diverse hiring and a contracting spend reflected anti-white discrimination. And, uh, you know, the Kellogg company and then Target company and all, all of them, our corporate members, have been committed to promote a diverse and inclusive economy for the really well-being of our country. So this these attacks are not the first we witnessed over the last 50 years and certainly will not be the last. So, Arian, if you are not, the Fearless Fund is not able to, you know, have these kind of grant programs like this one, what would that mean for your business and the mission of your organization? You know, if the court somehow magically rules, given, you know, the conservative Supreme Court, this case makes its way to the Supreme Court. We know there's a 6-3 conservative majority. Uh, We saw what happened to college admissions, affirmative action. So I don't think it'd be far-fetched to see this particular court as currently constituted make, you know, similar what many of us believe to be flawed arguments to try to support the conservative ideology of folks like Edward Bloom and his nonprofit. So just looking down the road, how would that impact your organization? Well, two things, you're correct. What is at stake is if that, if we lose, everybody loses. And if we win, everybody wins. And you were able to cite, of course, the affirmative action case when there were only two schools that were in the case, but yet everybody lost. So we have to be mindful of that. So we all know what is at stake and how serious this lawsuit is. It also has a chilling effect, meaning that just by suing somebody, you're instilling fear. Mm-hmm. People are withdrawing from their programs, whether they're being sued or not, because they're in fear of being sued. But in the event, which I do, of course, pray everything does go our way and we are very well supported. I would say that we would have to creatively figure out how to still continue this work. This work is important. These disparities are real. And we have to figure out how to still continue to do this work. Have, and you mentioned that chilling effect, and you're absolutely right. These kinds of lawsuits can make it very difficult for organizations like yours to uh, seek funding. You know, sometimes funders get spooked. Uh, I cited that Morrison uh, and Forrester a law firm policy, that diversity uh, fellowship. I know students who have benefited from that diversity uh, fellowship, and I was saddened to see that Morrison and uh, Forrester were going to change their policies. Have you had that happen where any of your funders or any of your partners have been spooked by this lawsuit, quite frankly, said, mm, you know, I don't, uh, we're, we're going to just sit back and wait uh, before we make any additional financial investments? Well, we will see. We're in the middle of fundraising all the time with the business that we do. We are aware that a lot of our investors and our donors have received threatening letters. We run two different businesses. The fund is an investment vehicle. The foundation is a philanthropic vehicle. And we know on both sides of those businesses that they have received letters to stop their DEI funding. And hopefully they plan to stand by their commitments. But only time will tell if they're willing to stand by their commitments. 
And Ying, we did see big companies that came out very aggressively after George Floyd's murder, after the civil unrest. You know, a lot of them came out and pledged billions of dollars to minority-owned businesses. There's a recent article, New York Times, about uh, how that money began to dry up after uh, 2020 or during 2021, and that some of those businesses that had exponential revenue growth in 20 and 21 now are on the verge of bankruptcy or closure. So what are you seeing with regards to some of these big companies like a Target or McDonald's or others who were very vocal about supporting minority businesses? Uh, are you seeing any of them take a step backwards because of you know, the ending of COVID, the kind of 24 news, 24 seven news cycle that has, you know, made the George Floyd murder and the civil unrest, you know, not a front page story. And then a lawsuit like this, as well as the one involving college admissions. So I, as I shared earlier, uh, all, all of these attacks definitely change the risk calculus of a corporate America on their uh, investment uh, to DEI. But I think the corporate America, large corporations, I would see them uh, going two different directions. Those corporations that was doing this for compliance reasons in the past, uh, you're definitely going to see they're going to pack their bag and, and start to do less or eliminate uh, their DEI programs. But for those corporations who believe that uh, diversity and, and promoting minority-owned businesses. It's good for their shareholders' value. It's good for their top line, bottom line. It's good for the future of economy. They will not step back. I have, you know, I, right now I have to be very optimistic. You know, we work with our corporate members every day, and I have confidence in our corporate leaders who are resolute in their determination to shine a spotlight of hope in this devastated uh, situation. I believe our corporate leaders recognize that systemic racial economic inequality pose a threat to our na nation's progress. They understand that the financial cloud is a powerful equalizer. They believe the business ownership is the key to economic empowerment, and they see a untapped supplier resources in people of color. In fact, an untapped consumer base in people of color. So I believe this corporate leader will rise to the occasion again, just like they did in 1960s, in 1970s, uh, after the civil rights movement, and they have to take the leadership and get get us through this. Arian, have you seen that? Have you seen any of these corporations that Ying is, you know, making reference to without calling names? But have you seen some of these big corporate CEOs, you know, stand up and, and you know push back uh, in terms of the lawsuit against your organization? But as you said, the notion that if this lawsuit succeeds, it will have greater impact, much much greater impact on other diversity uh, programs at businesses big and small? Or are you getting much support from those corporate leaders? Public support, not calling you up or sending you a DM or a private text, but folks who have a platform and power who can write op-ed pieces, who can go on shows and, you know, uh, you know, can stand with you in a public way. Is that happening? 
What I can say, a few people I, I have seen, not that necessarily that there are investors, um, but as Jing was stating, people who truly believe in DEI, they will keep their stance. So I have seen a few corporations saying that they're going to continue in their efforts. Have I seen a widespread movement the way we did in the, the racial reckoning of 2020? I mean, that answer is obvious, and we know that that answer is no. Um, so I haven't seen that yet. We are charging all of our corporate investors, even as of recent, to say something. So we will see very soon who's willing to say something publicly and who is not. Um, so it may just take a little time, but I'm definitely going to be observant to see who is truly in this with us or were they just in this because it looked good at the moment. Yeah, we heard a lot about performative. That was a word <laughs> became very popular. Everyone was using uh, as, you know, companies posted black squares on their Instagram as they issued very fanciful press releases, very powerful in some cases, and, and made pledges. Uh, real quickly, uh, Ying, a lot of that money that was pledged, when I talked to a lot of small business owners, they said that money, a lot of it from corporate America, never made its way into the pockets of black business owners or into their businesses. Uh, is there anything that your organization is doing around that? We are seeing um, some of the dollar went directly to uh, minority business development. For example, our Center for Excellence program uh, that we develop uh, smaller MBEs and move them into a mid-sized uh, mid-sized businesses, and, and that's entirely funded by our corporate dollar and the corporate foundation dollars. I think, like I said earlier, that, you know, companies with the compliance mindset, we don't know where, where the dollar went, but for the companies who see this as economic growth opportunity, we're definitely seeing that pledge is becoming a reality through organizations like NMSDC. And Arian, we're almost out of time. So real quickly, tell us what the We Are All Fearless campaign is. Oh, my gosh. That may be a question actually for Ying. The NMSDC has been very instrumental. And thank you, Ying, in standing with us in this fight. And they, it was their idea to come up with the We Are All Fearless campaign because they wanted the world to see we are all in this together. It's not just the face of the fearless fund. If we win, we all win. And if we lose, we all lose. So we have joined together forces for a campaign for everybody to understand, no, we are all fearless. Well, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Ying McGuire, for the work that you do. And thank you, uh, Arian Simone. Uh, we will be watching this lawsuit very uh, closely. Dr. Ty Douglas is going to join us uh, when we come forward to talk about some of the legal implications and the constitutional issues raised by this lawsuit. But again, best of luck in your efforts to fight back against Edward Bloom and his conservative organization. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Molesky, okay. We are back, and in this hour, we're talking about the Lawyers for the American Alliance for Equal Rights, a conservative group that filed a lawsuit against African-American-owned Atlanta-based venture capital firm Fearless Fund. Uh, they claim that the $20,000 grant program set up by the Fearless Fund for Black female business owners was a textbook case of racial discrimination. A federal district court in Atlanta 
disagreed, saying the program sends a message that Fearless wants to support Black women business owners and that that message is protected free speech. Well, as you can imagine, American Alliance for Equal Rights immediately filed an appeal to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and a three-judge panel to uh, siding with American Alliance for Equal Rights said that the district court got it wrong uh, and basically said the parties need to brief the court uh, and that the defendant, i.e. Fearless Fund, needed to explain how its $20,000 grant fund program targeted to Black women was not a cl- classic and textbook case of discrimination. Uh, I have some brilliant law professors who are joining me to help us make sense of all of this. Joining me is Dr. Sidney Freeman and Dr. Zabalon Molesky. Thanks to both of you for joining me. Uh, really appreciate your insights on this. Obviously, after the decision by the Supreme Court overturning or, or basically saying that affirmative action in college admissions was no longer valid, it sent universities and schools scrambling. Many of us expected uh, that there'd be similar challenges to diversity programs in companies. I guess, uh, Dr. Freeman, though, what I didn't expect was that one of the cases out the gate would be targeted at this African-American female-owned venture fund out of Atlanta. Uh, help us understand what the district court did in this case. And how is it that the 11th Circuit said, district court, you got this completely wrong? Well, I'm not as so I've heard about the case and I'm actually not a law professor. I'm actually a professor of leadership and, and education. Uh, and I've focused in on higher education leadership. But I will say this. I am not surprised that this has moved beyond uh, the educational sphere and applied to other spheres in which blacks work. And um and one of the things that we've seen is just the overreach and the overcompensation for um, for and against uh, black progress in these in these particular areas. Um, and so I'm not surprised that they're going after uh, these women who are, are trying to help out, uh, these black women who are trying to empower other other black women. I, I've found in higher education that uh, many institutions <laughs> are not allowed to specifically uh, provide scholarships for for black people and things like that. And I can see that those policies and things will uh, also impact other organizations and businesses, those who are trying to specifically advance uh, black people in their organizations. So Dr. Molesky, were you surprised by the ruling of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals them basically telling the district court that they got this wrong? Uh, well, you know, not, nothing surprises me lately. It's just just uh, the, 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 the coarseness in our in our dialogue lately and in our uh, in our uh, relationship to uh, to each other. Uh, I, I, I think that we're seeing um, uh you know, if there was any question about um, the sort of viciousness of some of these decisions and 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 their implications for how they affect uh, black people, because because people asked and and made these you know uh, arguments early on, and they said, no, 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 this is this is you know this is just unconstitutional. But you see this sort of almost targeting uh, happening here, and uh, proof again that um, you know. 
it, it almost reminds me of times past where you had, you know, like Black Wall Street, you know, you had successful uh, Black businesses and entrepreneurship. And, um, and uh, that's, that's really uh, what, what seems to be at, at issue here is Black success, you know. Uh, 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 and so, but to tell you the truth, yeah, it, it did surprise me because um, I don't think any of us uh, really kind of saw that coming. Yeah. And Dr. Freeman, like, you know, uh, Arian talked about the implications if this lawsuit uh, fails and fails, meaning if they, the defendants, the fearless fund is not successful in beating back this lawsuit. And again, given what we know about our Supreme Court, this could be really uh, the undoing of decades and decades and decades of affirmative and I won't call them affirmative action, but decades of diversity programs uh, that exist in many, many industries in this country, uh, you know, programs that are designed to increase the number of minority students in the pipeline for certain kinds of companies, certain kinds of industries. Uh, you know, what would our companies, what would our country, what would our corporations and organizations look like if we're not able to use, you know, a targeted diversity uh, program? Well, we've seen that uh, in higher education where, let's say in California, when um, when they struck down affirmative action and as it relates to students um, admitting admitting students and the, the number of African-American students to the University of California system went down a lot. And so I think this is going to impact uh, a lot of the major work that's been done over the years uh, in corporations, in law firms, and just across across the board. So we have to be very vigilant as Black folks to push back on these things and be thinking strategically about ways in which to uh, continue to advance uh, Black progress. Uh, we can't just sit on our, our laurels and um, whether, whether uh, they lose the case or not, we still have to be very vigilant about uh, making sure that we are advancing our people. Yeah, and Dr. Molesky, uh, you know, what happens if a corporation, because I asked Arianne, you know, have any of the companies that have supported the Fearless Fund obviously have donated or invested, I should say donated, maybe donated on their philanthropic side, but invested on their venture capital side, had any of them come out publicly? And she said, not yet. She's going to be watching to see if that happens. But what are the risks of a major financial institution or financial uh, company coming forward, uh, standing with Fearless Fund and pushing back against uh, this kind of attack by the American Alliance? Yeah, well, it, it's going to be the, the test of all this, uh, what they call DEI work that's been done. You know, uh, so many companies have invested in diversity, equity and inclusion uh, especially after the murder of uh, George Floyd, uh, um, you saw an outpouring in terms of, you know, American corporations saying, hey, what can we do? You know, and, and, and people said, well, look, take a look at your boards. You know, do you have any people of color on the boards? Uh, the number of companies that don't have people of color is like staggering, even still. But but uh, people made the investment. Uh, there's pretty much no American corporation today or higher ed or, or many other institutions that don't have one person in, in place, in position, hopefully with a voting uh, seat on the board, 
uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So people are going to have to put their money where their where their mouth is. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone, if some do come forward um, and and say, no, this is good business. This is not uh, this is not some kind of a scheme. This is something that we feel that actually improves and 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 builds upon in some way giving back for all the years of divestment in the black community. And when we come forward, I want to talk about the risks that many companies see when they do make those kinds of statements, when they do stand in solidarity, uh, particularly how their board members respond. We've seen uh, companies who've been targeted for boycotting uh, and others just for, in Target's case, just for a display of a LGBTQ, uh, you know, some kind of display during Pride Month. So it's become very, very challenging for companies to take a position, either pro or con, on some of these hot button social issues. Uh, more on this topic when we come forward. KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and we're talking about the risk associated with corporations standing in solidarity with the Fearless Fund and other organizations to protect diversity and equity programs in corporate America. I'm looking at an article, uh, Dr. Maletsky, about political activism in Florida. And corporations like Amazon, AT&T, Comcast, Disney, and Walmart have been publicly outed because they say these companies publicly proclaim their commitment to anti-racist values uh, they, did, they did so pretty loudly after the 2020 murder of George Floyd, but research by the Center for Political Accountability found that these same corporations were directly or indirectly donating to Ron DeSantis, the governor in Florida, uh, who has supposed limits on how race and racism can be taught uh, in Florida schools. And, you know, they were called out because folks say, look, you can't corporation say that you stand with the black community, but also fund the governor and his work around dismantling black history. Uh, how is that, you know, the, the duplicity that we've seen in, in many of these corporations, how is that likely to impact what happens in this lawsuit? Yeah, that's, uh, that's embarrassing for Amazon and companies like, like that. Uh, you, 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 you can't turn a corner these days without seeing an Amazon truck, uh, They've, they've really uh, dominated the industry, uh, talk about cornering the market. Um, and so it matters. It matters what large uh, companies, corporations, uh, what they you know used to call the blue chip uh, companies that drove the uh, stock market. And it was like, you know, it's like 20 companies for years that did that. And now Amazon and uh, Tesla and some of these newer companies are are driving uh, driving American corporations and, and 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 driving the economy, so it's it it's it's very uh, uh, important to um, uh, to to honor these kinds. Anybody can make a courageous kind of statement, you know, uh, around how they feel about racial issues at at a certain time, and and folks wonder are they are they just trying to take advantage. Uh, of the political moment, you know, uh, do they mean what they say? Um, you know, there's a lot of companies that, that had commercials about Juneteenth, but then they didn't give their employees the day off on Juneteenth. So, so um, we got to hold them uh, accountable. And uh, that's why I love, I love your show, Ariva, because you do that uh, in terms of bringing that information and uh, bringing the receipts. That's what we need to see here in terms of their commitment. 
Well, thank you. And thank you for always joining and adding your brilliance to it, because this is complicated stuff, uh, Dr. Freeman. Some of these companies, as uh, Dr. Maletsky said, we we like, you know, we like getting our Amazon packages, right? We like not having to go to the mall for everything. And, you know, they've changed the game in terms of how folks shop. But they're on this list of companies that have supported not just Ron DeSantis, but the Florida Republican uh, Party, it, you know, to the tune of six figure type checks while that Republican GOP led House was uh, dismantling diversity, equity, inclusion uh, programs across all state colleges in Florida. Uh, this is the same group of companies that were also uh, supporting DeSantis as he blocked the new advanced placement course on African American studies. So, is I guess the question is: Is it unrealistic for us to think that these companies who are driven by shareholder profits, who've got to, you know, at the end of the day prove to their shareholders that they are profitable, that they can afford to alienate. I mean, we know where a lot of Walmart stores are in particular. We know the Walmart audience. We know the Walmart demographic. Can they afford to alienate that demographic? Uh, or so should we just expect them to play both sides, you know, stand up for Black History Month, stand up for Juneteenth and write big checks to the Republicans? Well, that's what they're going to do unless we come together and we uh, and we push back on this. And so one of the one of the the challenges is and one of the major challenges is that um, many of our our major major organizations like the NAACP, our National Urban League, and others have not uh, been able to kind of bring us together and say, listen. Um, let's put pressure on these particular companies. Um, some of our other organizations, um, I think we, you know, when you talk about the black church as being one of our seminal uh, organizations in our communities, uh, it's really important for them to, uh, to bring us together uh, and to also say here collectively, this is how we're going to move forward with uh, making these companies pay because us just doing it individually is not going to work. It's going to be us working together. And I think uh, it takes leadership and it takes leadership from some of our organizations. And it's uh, I want to I also want to say thank you for your platform, because it informs the community about what we need to do. And so um, more and more, we need our leaders to step up and say, this is how we're how we move forward collectively to put pressure on these companies uh, to keep their word to us. And I thank you again to uh, Dr. Freeman for joining and, and lending your expertise. But uh, Dr. Maleska, you are a professor of African-American history. You've studied African-American history now for most of your career. Is what Dr. Freeman, you know, talking about, is that realistic, given that we're not a monolith as a Black community? Is there any precedent for that happening uh, throughout our history? Uh, you know, is there any movement that we can look to that has been able to do what Dr. Freeman talked about that has been successful? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we better. We ought to look back uh, and look at the, the playbook, if you will, because, um, <clears throat> you know, this I mean, this case with with the Fearless Fund. I mean, the original the allegation was that it it violated the Reconstruction Era Civil Rights Act of eighteen sixty six, and so if you know if if the if if they're if they are looking at you know 
laws that go back as, as far back as the 19th century, then we have to also think historically about movements that have worked. And um, uh, now it makes a very good point. You know, um, the problem, I think, is that in our current era, you know, no, nothing against the nation's oldest civil rights organization, uh, the NAACP, uh, or any other organizations that go way back because there's been some major victories. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, a lot of them are sponsored by, you know, some of these corporations. Um, and so we have to be mindful of, of where we accept money from uh, and, now, and really, now you uh, know, Dr. Uh, Molesky, a lot of those leaders and those legacy, as we call them, organizations would push back and say, yes, we accept donations from major corporations because, one, these corporations, you know, have indicated a, a willingness to do work in our community. Uh, they're giving money to white organizations. And why shouldn't we be in that line or at the table and we can take their money and not be swayed by, not be, you know, overly influenced by, not allow our policies and our ideologies and our strategies to be impacted by the fact that they may be a funder at a dinner or they may be, you know, a supporter. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes it takes funds to do this work. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, it, uh, he, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune, you know, as they say. Um, and and so if uh, who's 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 paying for our seat at the table, um, that that also, I think, just, you know, needs to be needs to be taken uh, into consideration. You know, organizations in the past, um, for example, Booker T. Washington, you know, he took a lot of funds and money. Uh, from different philanthropists and stuff like that. He was able to build uh, Tuskegee University, a great uh, cornerstone in, in the Black experience. Uh, but, you know, it also forced him to have to compromise on some of his positions. And that's the problem sometimes with, you know, when, when, we, when we go for that, for the funding, um, uh, we just have to, we need a litmus test you know, to see where, where some of these companies have stood. If you're, if you're supporting Ron DeSantis and you're Amazon, the, one of the, used to be one of the greatest booksellers, <laughs> uh, they're, they're banning books in Florida. There's a contradiction there, you know, that needs to be considered and, uh, and it hurts our people. No, no doubt about it. You know, obviously legacy organizations like the NAACP, the Urban League are, are not the only ones that have a responsibility uh, they've been, you know, we've had some amazing leaders of those organizations that have done a lot of great work to move us forward, just like we've had amazing civil rights leaders. I've been watching the documentary on Rustin, uh, and, you know, and he's an unsung hero who's finally, you know, his story is being told. But this is complex work, obviously, as you said, uh, Professor, it takes money, it takes resources to organize and to build movement, particularly across the country, uh, to uh, you know bring people together and to really have a seat at the table. So uh, you know, this is going to be a, a lawsuit that we'll be watching for a while. We'll watch it for as long as it goes. We'll be standing in solidarity with the Fearless Fund. And I think all of us should you know, take the opportunity to educate ourselves on what's happening because Arian is right. What happens in that lawsuit is going to have far-reaching impact on all of us. And we're going to need all of our organizations, NAACP, Urban League, uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, every civil rights organization in this country working 
uh, and every individual. So we just can't, you know, put this burden on those organizations. Like I said, many of them do phenomenal work. Some of my best friends are working at some of them. So each and every one of us has to ask ourselves, what are we doing to advance this cause? Uh, because this is not easy work. We are out of time. Thanks so much to both of you for jumping on this really important conversation. Always a pleasure to uh, be in uh, you know, conversation with both of you.